Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, a part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday nights as I am joined by a very special guest. You know him as one of the kings of Nuggets YouTube, just one of the absolute legends on Nuggets Twitter, doing his damnedest to get Argentina to put a blacklist on him. It is Swipe a Cam. At Swipe a Cam on Twitter. Make sure to go follow his YouTube channel at Swipe a Cam. Uh, Cam, man, how are you doing? Uh, are you are you okay with all the Argentina slander right now? Look, I have been nothing but kind and respectful to everybody. And if people don't like the fact that we are having articulate basketball takes, then I don't know what to say. I'm not going to demean you. You know, you can demean me. You can demean Ryan. But this is my thing, Ryan. I'm. I am fine when it's pointed at me, but when it's pointed at other people, that's when I start having the issue. But you can say whatever you want to me because it doesn't affect me one bit. I'm not fine when it's pointed at me. I love it when people love me, man. That's that's. I think my my worst personality trait is I want people to like me. I do my best to be nice and and positive and happy about it, the entire situation, and and to have people just be extremely insulting is just. It, it, it hurts my soul because I do my best to just be as objective as possible. And that's just the thing that that has really stood out this year for Denver. But we'll get to all that. No worries. Uh, Swiper, how you doing, man? Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun talking with you on Twitter to watch you continue to grow. Uh, this has been a really interesting season. It's been a tough season for a while, but I feel like we're kind of seeing the the uh, the grass is greener on the other side a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, whenever you record after, you know, the best player in the NBA has 49, 14, and 10, the vibes are probably elite. So, you know, I think that's probably the biggest part of it. I think the team is 23 and 20. And with all the things we've seen this year, with all the ups and downs and with the adversity, the COVID, the injuries, unexpected injuries, now, you know, obviously with P.J. Dozier being out, the bowl bowl situation that happened where he's traded, he's not traded, now he's traded again. You know, we basically been like the Hobbits, you know, there and back again. Story by Bilbo Baggins and the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> so I think we're just, we're getting to a place where we can finally say things are normalizing a little bit and we have the best player in the NBA. Now the biggest question, Ryan, is how do we help him and make it as easy as possible for him to be successful. It's a great point. It, it really is a great point. And we'll get to the rest of the rotation, I think. I think we've got a couple more segments on that, segments two and three, that we are going to really delve deep on, on how the Nuggets are going to help him out, how they're going to try to do their best to put the best pieces around him. And we've got a couple pieces that might be coming back soon. That that seems like a, That seems like a really exciting thing, too. But for now... I wanted to kick this thing off with the MVP race. I wanted to talk about uh, several candidates. Uh, we, we don't have to go into depth on a lot of these guys. Just to, I wanted to be able to throw some names out there, talk about these different players, and kind of kind of celebrate that the fact that while Jokic is putting up, I think the best numbers per se. Like I feel like there are a lot of players that are really helping their team win this year, and, and I want to start with a guy that we're about to see on Friday, uh, Jama Rant. He has been unbelievable, just a lot of fun to watch, being able to watch him grow, being able to watch the Memphis Grizzlies go. They have the best vibes in the NBA for sure. Uh, we, we do a, a vibe stat of the shout out to the DNVR guys uh, that like that team, their vibes are through the roof. Uh, what do you think of Ja? What do you think of what that team has been able to do in Memphis? And, and do you think he's a serious candidate to win the MVP? Look. I like Jaws' game a lot. I think if you went back in the 2019 draft and you had to do it all over again, Ja Morant would probably be the best pick coming out the draft. He's been amazing. He's been excellent. He has been an absolute floor raiser for the Memphis Grizzlies, and I think that's probably the way I would best describe him. Um, he gives them could again remember when he was out for I want to say 11 games this year the Memphis Grizzlies went nine and two so they obviously have a good team but he raises their potential so much because of how dynamic he is and I go ahead oh no I was gonna say like I think you said floor raiser I think you meant ceiling raiser because yeah, ceiling like raiser. they they did they did win all those games without him and it's crazy to think about that team and how yeah. well put together they are 
But like you said, John Morant just, just raises that potential through the roof where he can he can go off for 47 or 48 mm-hmm. or however much he had against the Utah Jazz on the road in a playoff game. Like that was the moment where I was like, okay, this dude has arrived. He was going to be a star in this league. Uh, the only question is how high. And, and like he's he's probably going to start the all-star game, man. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, and I think he deserves it if he gets the opportunity. Um, obviously, uh, you know, there's people contending in there, obviously, with Steph Curry. And then you got Luka Doncic, who's come on extremely strong as of late. Chris Paul, who's played great all season. John Moran's been great. And, again, he's shooting about 36% from three this year, which, again, is um, based on I know, some of his previous hiccups that he was having with shooting. That really just helps his game out a lot. He's shooting with high efficiency as well. Um I like Josh's game. I think that he is a very – he's a meaningful player, like meaning that the way he does actually contributes to winning. And so I think that's one of the things you always look for when you have young players who are that talented. And I really like Josh's game. So I think that he is definitely somewhere uh, in the MVP discussion, but I think it's on the fringes for me personally because, again, I just think based on the fact that Memphis has been so good – without him, that kind of limits his ability to really describe that he is more valuable than maybe a set of other players in the NBA. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that that, that makes a lot of sense when you're, when you're speaking about who, like the, the tiers to this are just so incredible because you've got a player like John Morant who a guaranteed all NBA caliber player. Like, I, I don't think that there's any question about that at this point. He'll probably be in the top 10 in the MVP race. Will he be top five? I don't know, because there's so many other amazing players, but he deserves a mention in this, I think. Um, let's move to Joel Embiid, who uh, there's there's been a lot of talk about Joel Embiid lately, and he's somebody who uh, people don't really like. He started off the season the first six weeks of the year, not great. I think he was averaging about 22 a night and just wasn't necessarily putting a stamp on the game, had been in and out of the lineup with uh, – injuries and I think health and safety protocol absence or something like that. But when he came back and when he started really kicking it into high gear, uh, I mean, the last game says it for itself, 50, 50 points in like what, 27, 28 minutes or something like that. That's incredible. That's like the points that he puts up in such a short amount of time. It's, it's unprecedented at this point. Yeah. And uh, 76ers fans will always be quick to remind you that he is uh, the best uh, per minute score in NBA history. And he absolutely shot 23 shots in 27 minutes. And he made, I think, 17 of them. Uh, he had Christ. crazy. Sh- yeah, it was just unbelievable. <laughs> true shooting. It was just unbelievable. And these, again, these were mid range shots. These were fallaways. These were in the paint dunks. These were layups. And then he also shot, you know, the trademark, like 17 free throws. And he was 15 for 17, I believe as well. I think that Joel Embiid is a top six player in the NBA by himself straight up. But I think that right now there's an argument to be made for Joel Embiid to be sitting uh, honestly, at about four in the MVP race right now, I think he's been that good. Um, I think that, especially with the recent news about Kevin Durant having been out now, he can have to be out for six weeks because of the injury. There's a chance that Joe slides into the top three. You know, some people peg him. Uh, some of the ESPN folks and Tim Legler said that he's their favorite right now. Um, again, I mean, it's hard to argue with it. He's been absolutely excellent for the past several weeks. Uh, really, for the past month, he's just been dominating the NBA and if, again, if, if Nikola Jokic didn't exist and if Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't exist, he'd be leading the NBA in PER right now. So he's been excellent. Box plus mine and to advance that, it speaks to how great he's been. Uh, I think Joe has a serious consideration to be MVP this season. He, he's going to be up there, and it's, it's going to be a lot like last year where he'll probably finish in the top three as long as he stays relatively healthy. Um this kind of like yoke, like kind of like, uh, actually, no, not yoke, kind of like Steph Curry last year, where Steph for the first half of the season was a different player than the second half of the year where he really turned it up. He really started shooting the hell out of the ball. And then the, the Warriors made a run for a play in spot, which they didn't actually get, by the way. That's incredible. Um, I think that Joel Embiid should be around five if I were doing a ballot right now. Like, I think. KD's still above him, but probably slides below at some points. Uh, but like, kind of like Jokic and kind of like Steph, he is uh, Joel Embiid. He is not by himself, but he's a player that's surrounded by other solid starters, no real all-star talent. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Simmons, obviously not being on that team, I think is a big deal. Uh, but even like if it was De'Aaron Fox, like that would be an incredible talent to pair with a guy like Joel Embiid. And like, why, why is he floating out De'Aaron Fox? Does he know something? Yeah, well, De'Aaron Fox would be a fantastic uh, trade piece for them, and they should probably really explore that, uh, Daryl. Uh, yeah, no, it just seems like it seems like Joel is probably going to not win this thing. Like, hey, he, he, they're just not going to win enough games, and I don't think he has been as dominant in other phases as he probably could be. But he is scoring the hell out of the ball. Yeah, and uh, I think that Joe is probably more loved by maybe some of the basketball former player analysts, like when people look at his game, the way he plays, you know, he's dominant inside, the way he looks, the way he dunks the ball, his rim protection instincts that he has. But I think from a voter standpoint and from a coach's standpoint, I think that they see Joe as a tremendous player. But again, I think that there is a clear next tier of player that people see when they think about his overall impact on the court. I think, again, I think, again, Anthony Davis, when we remember Anthony Davis in his heyday, was a 28 and 12 player. I think that Joe is is probably slightly better than what Anthony Davis was, in my opinion. But I also think that that's still a little bit of a, a ceiling on exactly how much he does impact the overall product of winning. But again, you know, he's carried this team right now. The 76 are sitting at 26 and 18 without Ben Simmons. They obviously have Tobias line Tobias on the lineup still. Having Seth Curry has been huge. He's been in a great floor spacer for them. So I think he has a good chance. But again, I think there's some other people that might be a little bit more deserving. Agreed. Um, two players that may or may not be more deserving. I'm going to pair them together. Uh, DeMar DeRozan. I think that he has been all NBA caliber, but I think it was pretty overstated that he was in the actual MVP race because he's just like the numbers that he would have to put up to maintain that would have been insane. And he hasn't really maintained that he's been like a really good all NBA caliber player, but some of these other guys are just putting up like bonker stat lines to which Demar's not really doing that. It's just more solid, like 26, seven and five, like just, it's fine. It's really, really good, but may not be at that top level. Plus he's got a guy who's putting up identical numbers than Zach Levine. Yeah. And I think that's the argument I, I would present to anyone that is, uh, especially Chicago fans or somebody that really is saying that maybe you need to be in the top tier of that, that conversation. Well, how can you make a di- differentiate between him and Zach Levine unless you're using the clutch stats? You know, people point to that a lot. The game winners, how great he's been in the last two minutes of games, which I completely understand. But from an overall impact standpoint, Zach Levine is arguably worth considering for an in- for an East All Star starter. So if that's the case, then how much impact can Demar Derozan have on a singular basis that says that those maybe six or seven players who are listed above him, what argument would he actually have to say that he's having that kind of impact? And then on top top of that, he has a very good team around him. Vooch is playing well this year. You got Alex Caruso playing an all-NBA defense level. You got, obviously, with Lonzo Ball, who's now going to be out because of injuries with a slightly torn meniscus, but playing great this season. And they're sitting at the number one seed in the East, essentially, because of that. So I just think they have a really good team, and I think it accentuates DeMar DeRozan's game really well. LeBron James is the other guy that I was going to mention. And I just don't think that his team is good enough. Like it's, it's hard to really see him making an actual MVP run that, that like knowledgeable people are going to respect. Yeah. Yeah. LeBron James is not only uh, not in a good situation in winning they're in the plan right now, but also he is not having the individual impact. Some other players are as well. It was, it was pretty stark in the, Nuggets Lakers game that Jokic was just a tier above him as a player. Like it just, it wasn't even really close. And, and being in that building, you could really see the difference between what happens when LeBron doesn't have any help versus what happens when Jokic doesn't really have any help. And Denver's guys went to bat for him in that game. Don't get me wrong. Like the over 20 plus threes, I'm pretty sure, but that's just, I feel like that's a microcosm of how they're both impacting the game at the highest levels right now, because it's not like the Lakers are that much worse of a team than the Nuggets when they don't have Porter and Murray. Yeah. And I think the Russell Westbrook's demise has been 
overstated in some cases because, again, he's still a quality NBA starting guard. Uh, and if he played for the Denver Nuggets, he probably would be uh, arguably the second or third best player on the team still to this day. So I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that comes with where the Lakers are. But the fact of the matter is it's just he's 37 years old. He can't impact the game like he used to in the regular season. And that's OK. We don't have to give him a legacy MVP award. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, now we reach the top four, uh, which I have as Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, who would you like to talk about first? Well, let's just get the controversial one out of the way. That's Steph Curry. I don't think Steph Curry is a top four candidate anymore. Ooh, um, interesting. Steph Curry is having his worst shooting season essentially since the 2012-2013 season. They have been abysmal without Draymond Green in the lineup this season. Uh, from a shooting standpoint, he's shooting less than 40% on threes. And that essentially is his greatest, his greatest trait is the gravity metric that we always talk about. And I, I agree that when he's on the court, he makes it easier for Jordan Poole and now Clay Thompson's back and everyone else that's on the team. I get it. But again, from a production standpoint and an impact standpoint, his numbers suggest that he is literally not having one of his best seasons ever, and he's having in one of his worst seasons since he's been in his prime. So I just don't think there's just much of an argument for Steph Curry right now. I think the reason Steph Curry got all the hype was because he broke the three-point record, he crossed 3,000 threes. But ever since, that's been the most remarkable thing about his season thus far. I mean, it's pretty cool. I, I, I won't argue with people that, hey, crossing 3,000 threes and being the all-time leading three-point guys is pretty cool. Uh, but you're right. Like that's that's if that's the big thing about your season, it's just more of a legacy thing rather than necessarily like what's the actual impact. Then it's tough. It's it's tough to really parse between those two things. And I think a lot of people are still holding on to that that fact that like, hey, he did this. This was a part of who he was. And then he started the season so well that it felt like he was the most impactful player in the league, like consistently. It was actually Jokic, but we don't need to go there yet. Um, but yeah, so here's, here's the actual numbers that I pulled today for stat of the week. Uh, let me just make sure that I have these right. Of course I clicked off of the article before I, uh, before I hopped on with you. Um, basically the stat that I had pulled up was the on-off numbers, the on-off, uh, net ratings for people. And so Jokic has these, these massive net rating swings when he's on the court versus when he's off the court. Steph is the same thing. Uh, the team net rating for the Warriors is plus 8.1. When Steph's on the court, it's plus 14.7. When he's off the court, it's minus four, it's minus 4.1. So that's a difference of 18.8 points per 100 possessions. Jokic's is 22.3. Which isn't just like, that's not in and of itself an MVP caliber thing. But Jokic is still a plus 10 net rating when he's on the court, despite the fact that he's missing all these guys. And despite the fact that, like, it just feels like, despite the fact, like, Curry is one of those really high impact plus minus guys. And this is one of the ways to illustrate that. And Jokic is still outstripping him. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And again, I think, again, we're not talking about him yet. Um, I will save my hot flaming takes for him when we get to him. But again, I think it's Duke's Steph Curry is obviously a top five player. But from an impact standpoint, uh, I, I will argue that as of the last month, Joel Embiid has had more impact on his team's success than Steph Curry has. Interesting. I think it's a it is a strong take, but it's also probably the right one. Um, just the way that those two have played, like I mean, they've they've gone opposite directions for sure. Um, but either way, like Steph's going to be a part of this thing, and 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 Joel's going to be a part of this thing. What do you think about KD versus Giannis? Like, where are those two at? Well, KD, unfortunately, is out um, now with, you know, an injury. And it looks like it's going to be six weeks for him. And that sucks because KD was doing everything in his power uh, to make sure that the Nets had the ability to do what they were doing. And uh, they were playing at a high level. And, again, you always like to see KD play well. And, again, he's one of the greatest players of all time, you know, arguably one of the top 15 players of all time. Uh, but, again, the fact of the matter is, is just that, he's out because of injuries. And I have said this already. I've made videos about this before. Um, if you're familiar with me, I think that Giannis Antetokounmpo is having one of the absolute greatest NBA seasons of all time, of all time. 
Giannis has been absolutely elite offensively this season. He's averaging six assists a game this year. He's averaging 28 points, 11 rebounds, shooting great efficiency. The only place he doesn't shoot well from from three. And defensively, he's arguably been the best defender in the NBA, even better perhaps than Rudy Gobert in different some options in some games. Like Giannis has been absolutely on a streak since he ended game six of the finals and scored 50 points, had that crazy block and ended the game with that alley-oop. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo by – I think him and one other person have literally cleared every other player in the NBA, and I don't really think that's that hot of a take. I think if you just watch Giannis play, there is just not many people you can look at and say – they are objectively having a better season than Giannis. And I just don't think that there's anyone that has an argument except for one other person. I think Giannis has been that good. He might be having his best year of his career. It's crazy to think that. And, and like, it's not wrong either. Like that's, that's where, that's where I kind of come down with it. Like him being able to do what he does at the level of motor that he does, that he has that on a consistent basis is just absurd. Uh, it's not his career high scoring season. It's not Jokic's career high scoring season either, but he is averaging, like you said, a career high in assists right now. Uh, not necessarily a career high in rebounds, but still pretty high up there. And, and like, he just continues to impact the game in so many different ways. And it's not just because of the, uh, it, it's not just because of the numbers. It's because of the mentality. A lot of the time where, Kind of like Yoke, you start to go through this over and over and over again, and you pick up the tricks of the trade. You pick up different things, and you just know how to attack defenses in a certain way that's going to really set you apart. He, in his ninth season, which is crazy to think, he's already in his ninth year. Uh, He's not that young kid anymore. Uh, He is still doing some incredible things and is going to continue to do incredible things. Like it's He's he's, he's 27 years old. He's 27 years old. He has a box plus minus of 10.4 right now, which again is, is outrageously good. Yeah. Outrageously good. His PER right now, again, it's just if again, if if this if it wasn't but for one other person, he has a 31.1 PER, which again is one of the top five scores of all time. Like Giannis is playing out of this world, out of this world. So I honestly think that he needs to be at the very tippity top of the MVP discussion. He's been that good. Now let's get to the final guy. Um, I assume the player that you're alluding to in all these discussions is Nikola Jokic, just from a, uh, maybe he's got, got some pretty good numbers here. He's, uh, he's, he's having a pretty de- decent season. Uh, tell me about your guy. Well, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to sound like a re- an automated recorder here, but I just want to read all some information to you right now. Uh, Nikola Jokic from Sombor, Serbia, if you had not heard of the man, um, Big Honey, as some like to call him, has the current PER record of 32.9, which would set the all-time record in the NBA in player efficiency rating. He has a box plus minus of 14.0, which again would dwarf dwarf the current record in the NBA, which is mean box plus minus offensive and defensive contributions. Look, right now, the... Former reigning MVP Nikola Jokic is 43 games into the season, and he is still leading almost every all every single catch-all metric that exists to tell us how impactful a player is on the court, off the court. When he's in the game, the Denver Nuggets are one of the elite teams in the NBA. When he is not in the game, they are essentially the worst version of the Houston Rockets this season. Like, he has made every bit of a difference this season. He is putting up numbers that have literally never been before seen. He's averaging 26, almost 14, 7, shooting like 57% from the field, 37, I think, percent from the three-point line right now. He's almost back at 80% from the free throw line. And he's shooting a true shooting percentage of 64.6. Identical again, to last year. On And again, this of 20-point scorers, he is so far ahead of everyone else from true shooting and effective field goal percentage. It's laughable. So I think that me, the top of that Mount Everest in the MVP discussion is Nikola Jokic. And I honestly think that there's only one other person that has any argument for how impactful they've been for the team and it's been Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think, again, you take all the record stuff, 
I think that if you look at the overall impact, the fact that Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. Are out and P.J. Dozier was out when he was still on the team, then Will Barton missed all these games. You put that all together and you realize that this team would literally be a basement-dwelling Western Conference team, but instead they're 23 and 20 because literally one of the greatest players of all time is having one of the greatest individual seasons of all time, and it's on-off metrics are showing that he is, in fact, that guy. So box plus minus, it, it's a flawed stats. I understand that, that there's a lot of folks that look, would point to some of the numbers that it that it collects and say, hey, look, this this might not be fully trustable. This might not be what it, this, this, that, whatever. But every metric is flawed. You, you don't necessarily want to like rely super heavily on just one thing. But if I'm going to rely on something, it's probably going to be box plus minus because that's the one that tells me that Nikola Jokic is the greatest player of all time. And I love to hear that. I love to hear that, of course. Uh, now, I, I believe me, I know my biases. I know that everybody, as a Denver guy, uh, as a Denver Nuggets fan, like I'm automatically going to start gravitating towards some of the things that paint my guy in the best light possible. But I think that this one has merit. It's, it's really good metric box plus minuses for comparing historic seasons uh, with the database that's, that it has out there. And Jokic has the top, like two of the top four seasons in NBA history. And the other two are LeBron and MJ. Like, what are we talking about here? This is incredible. This is what he's doing right now, this season, putting the steam on his back, doing everything possible to make the correct basketball play and then be productive when the correct basketball play doesn't necessarily yield anything for another player. Like, he's still puts his head down and runs through that brick wall. And I think that's probably the best way to describe the season. He's running through brick walls, despite the fact that in seasons past, it's been a little bit easier for him with the spacing that he has. He's putting together the Sistine Chapel with a broken paintbrush, no ladder. He has to jump up himself and mark the roof with every time jump that he had. And it's still coming out to be a complete masterpiece, something we've never seen before, even with all the obstacles, all the adversity, it doesn't matter. He's still putting together a masterpiece. So I think, again, you can say, you know, bias, all this other stuff. The fact of the matter is when you see something that you've never seen before and you can look at every statistical data and supports that, and then on top of that, you look at the on-court play, there's not much to say that he has been the most valuable player in the NBA. But if you're going to tell me that maybe the raw data, you'd rather point to, you know, wins and losses and not look into the story. Sure. Then you could say somebody else's, but if you actually look into the story, just open the book up. I think it's pretty clear. I think the nuggets need to get to a specific win total in order to get him that nod. I think that, like it doesn't have to be 50 wins. I don't think that's I don't think that's true. I think it needs to be at least like 47, 48 and a a certified top 5 seed or so. But if he gets there with the adversity that they've faced in this year and him having to put his team on his back as consistently as he does while also putting together like if he continues to be uh the universally loved metric star, I think he's going to win a second MVP. As crazy to say. That is a crazy insane thing to say. But the schedule gets easier, the Nuggets get reinforcements, and he is still on track to be a second MVP in a row. That's crazy. It's amazing. And again, take it in, enjoy it, love it. We are watching the pinnacle of one of the all-time greats, and we should enjoy every game we get to watch. 100%. Let's take a break. When we come back, we got a couple other things to get to. Uh, But first, I want to tell you about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, Swipe a Are you an NFL fan? Oh, absolutely. I love the NFL. And I know the divisional round coming up, there are going to be a lot of fans that are very intense, that are hoping for seeing some success with Tom Brady, seeing some failure with Tom Brady, seeing some success with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and uh, seeing all these other teams uh, try to put together some dream seasons. And the San Francisco 49ers, Debo Samuel, my South Carolina guy. Like I, I love watching Debo Samuel catch the football, run the football, throw the damn football. It's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but the best way to get in on the action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. They are celebrating 
with a huge odds boost to new customers where you can put together Super Bowl 56 odds. That's right, 56 to 1 odds on any single team. You bet just $5, get back $280 in free bets if your team wins. It is that simple. If you're not a new customer, you can still get in on the action with same game parlays where you can put together a whole bunch of different bets on the same game and get an even bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. It is that simple, safe, and secure with DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can withdraw your cash whenever you want. So if you're interested, make sure you go, to, go download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS. Go get those 56 to 1 odds. Go bet those $5. Get 280 in free bets. It is that simple. Uh, you can win promo code MHS over a DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Back, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Joined today by Swipe It Cam. Uh, you know him for his YouTube. You know him for his Twitter engagement. You know him for his Argentina uh, abolitionist. Uh, I, I'm just kidding. Like I, I don't even know what I'm saying. But uh, Swipe, we're having a good time on this pod. We just talked about the the MVP race, and I want to talk about the backcourt rotation. And we'll go pretty short on this, so we can get to the other thing, because like, I want to make sure to uh, stay positive with this thing where. Uh, let's face it, the backcourt rotation has been crap. There's been there's been a lot of ugly play uh, from Denver's backcourt for a lot of the season, for a majority of the season. I think the starters have been overstretched, overtaxed. Monte Morris, like he's usually a six man. He's usually a backup point guard. He's done a really good job as the starter, but like he's not a starter, like like or at least not not to the level of a John Morant or, or a Steph Curry or anything like that. And you don't necessarily need him to be one of those guys but well, you've needed him to be even better than he's ever been before. And he has, but I think he's going to get tired because they just played him 45 minutes last game in a 53 minute overtime game. Like he played all but eight minutes because Denver's bench was so bad. Uh, Faku Campazzo really struggled. Bones Highland really struggled. Not, not really struggled. Bones was fine, but Austin Rivers really struggled too. And, I think we're getting to a place with this bench unit that something has needed to change. Something has needed to happen. And Denver went out and got a potential solution, maybe not a true solution, but at least somebody that they could throw into the rotation and see if he sticks. What do you think of Bryn Forbes? Well, like many of you, I have flashbacks of the 2019 playoffs watching Bryn Forbes just absolutely ice the Denver Nuggets every opportunity that he had to do so. He is a great catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He is a great player in getting open and finding his spots on the court. He has the ability to hit runners as well. He will be one of the best three-point shooters that Nikola Jokic has ever played with in his career, which, again, also speaks to what the Nuggets need to do more of in getting him from floor spacers. I think that Brent Forbes will be – a welcome addition to this team because that is going to allow for the rest of the secondary offense to work like it needs to. And I think it's also in different spots going to help the starters and most importantly, help Nikola Jokic to be able to do his job by having an extra four spacer on the court. That way, when you do try to double team him, he can make you pay even more. Or when you try to cheat off of a certain player, he will make you pay even more. I don't know if we were talking about this on air or off air, but you mentioned before the pod or maybe, maybe it was on the pod, but uh, you mentioned earlier that you want somebody who makes Nicola's life easier. You that's, that's what you want your role players to be is when you've got an MVP player playing at that MVP caliber, you want somebody who you can surround that player with and, and help bolster them, not necessarily detract from what they do. Do you think the Brent Forbes can do that? Yeah, uh, I absolutely do. Uh, and the reason is, is because when you have a player as dynamic as Joe, where he can play inside out, he can play at the mid range. He can also play as we learned recently, he can play on the wing and put himself 
in the post because nobody's able to give him the ball in different spots. So he can take over and do that for himself. Having more players or players like Brent Forbes is going to make life so much easier because now when teams are trying to scheme against playing Yoke, they're going to have to think twice about where they're going on the court because Yoke is going to see everything before it happens. And everybody already knows this. But the thing is, the more shooters you can give him, the more capable slashers you can give him, then the better the overall offense is going to flow. And I think that's when the offense's efficiency will creep up as well. And I don't think people understand that in the NBA, when you have good shooters to great shooters, it literally transforms how the floor is spaced out for everyone. So having Bryn Forbes, who is, I believe, maybe a 45% catch and shoot three-point shooter, I have to go back through those numbers, it's somewhere around there. That is going to change life, I think, for a lot of people. And I think it's going to open up some opportunities for some people, especially in the second unit, uh, that might have been struggling previously as well. So here are the numbers for this year. Um, and I put the, I put together this graphic today. I've had a lot of people ask me, Ryan, why are you so high on Bryn Forbes? Like, he's he's got some benefits and he's got some detriments. I'm not gonna not gonna lie about that. But I put together a graphic that has the Nuggets roster and their catch and shoot threes versus their pull up threes and and how they perform in each of those situations. Because you want guys that when you're surrounding Nikola Jokic can do both. You you want people that can take advantage of the space that he draws. And sometimes that's off the catch when he's at the post or he's just like uh, rotating the ball around. Sometimes it's a, it's in a pull-up situation when you want him to like, when you're running pick and roll with him, you want somebody who can pull up from three, somebody who can take advantage of the extra space where their guy goes under a screen or their guy gets stuck on a screen uh, when you've got two people going that direction. And so Bryn Forbes is great at both catch and shoot. He, it's it's much much more of a catch and shoot guy. This year, he's shooting 41.7% on catch and shoot threes. I think it was up like 48 or so when he was with Milwaukee last year. So over those last two years, I think you're right. It was somewhere about 45. Uh, that's incredible. Like for the rest of the Nuggets rotation right now, I'm just going to run through their numbers. Nikola Jokic, 37. Will Barton, 38. Monte Morris, 38. Faku, 34. Bones Highland, 37. Aaron Gordon, 35. Jeff Green, 36, Austin Rivers, 37, uh, and Jermichael Green, 25. So, like, Bryn Forbes would be the best guy. He'd be the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooter on the roster right now. Uh, Murray was a really great catch-and-shoot three-point guy. Porter was a really great catch-and-shoot three-point guy. I feel like the Nuggets have lost that a lot this year. They've they've kind of made up some of it on the margins with, I think, a decent performance from Bones. I think a decent performance from Will Barton, for sure. Uh but adding Bryn Forbes kind of gives you that more dynamic variable, I think. Somebody who could really go off from three. And again, uh, I think we just have to continue to reiterate that that is the absolute need of the Denver Nuggets to have more floor spacing. They need a few things, but in particular, they need a lot more of that. Um, right now, it looks like the Denver Nuggets are 19th in the NBA in, in terms of three-point percentage at about 34.5. That's just that's not good enough, given that you have a literal player who literally takes all of the attention on the defense and your entire job is to be available to shoot the ball. So if you can give more people like that to yoke, again, it's going to make the offense so much easier. And now your defense gets better because you hit more shots and you can actually go get set on defense to the giving of transition points and other things like that. So I think that having more players like him, having Bryn Ford, I think it's going to offer a big spark to the Denver Nuggets because we haven't had that kind of shooting since Jamal Murray and Porter went down. Not all threes are made equal either. Like you want guys that can shoot the tough contested ones, but also take advantage of the easy ones. Bryn Forbes strike me as a guy that if the defense leaves him, they know it's an automatic bucket because when he gets time, when he gets ready to get set, uh, when he ultimately releases, that thing is going to be picture perfect. It's going to be on a string and it's going to go right down the middle uh, when he's wide open. Uh, that's not necessarily the case for a lot of Denver's other three-point shooters right now where when they're left open, you don't necessarily know if they're going to hit those at kind of closer to a 50% clip or a 25% clip. It can be kind of fluctuating on the day. Bryn Forbes doesn't have a lot of bad three-point shooting games. Like he's just very consistent, does what he does. That's his role in the NBA. And you talked about just 
making things easier for Yoke, one of the easiest things you can do is just make things easier by being consistent. And Bryn Forbes is as, as consistent of a three-point shooter as you could possibly get for the price that they got. Yeah, and I think when Yoke said uh, like three days or, or so, when he said that teams know that we can't shoot, you know, he may not have probably meant it as a shot to the team, but again, it's the truth. And the fact of the matter is, is that when the team cannot shoot, it just makes his job that much harder because he is shooting well. He is shooting at a high efficiency. So if he's doing that at that level, then it only makes sense that he just needs a couple people to come alongside of him that are also able to be consistent. Because this is the thing with Yo, when he has to do everything, all he needs you to do is do your thing. Because if he can depend on you doing your job, which is shooting in this instance, then again, I think that will make everyone's life easier. And I think the Nuggets often will just come along better. So let me ask you this. Denver kind of has a, they have a solid starting unit right now. I don't think the Bryn Forbes is cracking that. I don't think there's any reason for them to, to kind of mess with that right now. What, like before Murray's coming back, before Porter's coming back, whatnot. Like you, you mess with it for those guys, maybe not for Bryn Forbes. So he's going to come off the bench in all likelihood. What do you think the rotation's going to look like? How, how do you think that Denver's going to try to approach this thing? Like, and, and specifically not necessarily how you would approach it, but how the Nuggets will approach it. Well, I'm glad you asked that clarifying part right there. Um, I think that the Nuggets will probably try to find a way to incorporate Forbes in matchup-dependent situations, much to some of our dismay. I think they're going to still try to find ways to play Facundo Campazzo, play Austin Rivers, play Bones Highland, and play Bryn Forbes, depending on the spot that they are in. I think there's a possibility that until Bryn Forbes gets fully acclimated into the offense, um, that Faku Campazzo and Austin Rivers will still see maybe a lot of the time they've been seeing throughout the rest for the first half of the year at least. Uh, but I do think at some point in time that one of those guys is going to be taken out of the rotation pretty significantly because when you're going to have that floor spacer available to you, especially with how they've been struggling offensively, I think that's going to end up impacting one of those players not having maybe any playing time or near as much playing time as they had. So I think eventually it's going to change, but I think right now it's probably going to be a slow incorporation to start. So it's tough because you just named a bunch of guys. You didn't even name Davon Reed. Like there, there's a lot of players in Denver's now, now backup group. Like you've got Faku, you've got Bones, you've got Bryn Forbes, you've got Austin Rivers, you've got Davon Reed. All five of those guys have played at very like Forbes. I'm counting here. Like will have played for Denver at various points. Uh, will have been in the rotation playing the one, two, or three. Uh, it just seems like the most likely situation is that three of those guys are going to play. And I think that they're going to try to play Bones. I think that they're going to try to play Bones Highland consistently. Like, I, I don't think that he's coming out of the rotation. I think we've seen him play 36 minutes, like against the Utah, against Utah. They, he's been the first guy off the bench on several occasions for the Nuggets and has been in the rotation ever since that Clippers game uh, with the confidence that, that he's had. I don't know if that's necessarily going to stick, but I think that they're at least going to try that. And that means you're playing Bones and Forbes together, which I think is a really interesting offensive duo. I'm pretty scared about it defensively. Yeah, you know, Forbes is only 6'2", about 205 pounds. Obviously, Bone is 6'3", you know, 6'9", wingspan. Uh, you know, both are, are undersized in terms of their body weight and all that. So they're not, like, making uh, a huge difference on perimeter defense, especially at the point of attack. But here's the thing. I think there will be an option available at some point in time, maybe the way to balance out the bench until Jamal Murray gets back. You know, what if they do decide that they want to put Bones and they want to put Forbes in uh, in for Monte Morris and Will Barton in order to maybe make up some of that difference? That way, it's not going to be a completely bench lineup anymore, but also maybe put a little bit more size out on the wing. Because, again, if you can play Forbes and you can play Bones with AG and Jeff Green, that will offset some of those liabilities that that might be on the perimeter on defense. And that way you don't have to be worried about having Bryn Forbes and Bones Highland next to, you know, Davon Reed or Zeke Naji and Michael Green or whatever that lineup might look like. I think what I'd predict right now is that the first, the first crack at it is probably going to feature a 10 man rotation, uh, which means you're going to go five starters full, a uh, full five bench, which is probably going to be Faku, Bones, Forbes, 
Zeke Najee and Jamichael Green. Like that's what I would guess. Um, I think Austin Rivers probably gets cut out of it. I think Davon Reed probably gets cut out of it, though you might play Davon Reed at the four in place of Zeke. Uh, but I think that Jermichael Green's probably getting back in. I think that Vaku's probably getting back in, at least initially. Uh, but what I, what I would personally like to see is a nine-man rotation where you play Bones, you play Forbes, you play Davon Reed, and you play Jermichael Green. Maybe not Jermichael Green. Like, I would personally play Zeke Naji, but Jermichael Green's getting back into the thing. I, I'm, I'm almost certain. And then you stagger any one of Morris, Barton, Gordon, or Jeff Green with those, with those four. And I think you can be pretty flexible with the two based off of the matchup, which is, is nice about having a couple shooters, having a wing defender, having a big, like it makes more sense that way than just like trying to pigeonhole a bunch of small guys. Yeah. And I think that's a lot, a great option. I I am honestly, Ryan, it, 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 it would make me sick to see Faku bones and Forbes on the same lineup because again it's just what is the point of that at that point like are you just hoping that it's going to be a three-point barrage because literally the tallest player of those three would be six foot three in an NBA game playing against small forwards and more than likely whoever we're playing against if they're in a good team they're going to be staggering starters with that lineup so that just sounds like a lineup that's prepared to be taken advantage of and uh, I, I hope that we don't do that but again you know I guess you never know. So it's tough. And, and I, I appreciate that, that perspective of it. Don't get me wrong. Like there, there are certain matchups that Denver is not going to fare well. And if that was their permanent solution, I just don't think that they're going with permanent solutions anymore. I think you've got enough guys and we could talk about it in the next segment too. When, when, when we get into the Murray and Porter conversation, but like Denver has enough guys now and they may potentially be trying to add DeMarcus cousins too, that I think you can really say like you, you don't necessarily have an everyday bench unit. You have a unit that works for this game. You have a unit for works for this game. And when you take it in aggregate, when you take all of those lineups together, then maybe it makes some more sense. Like, for example, in this last game against the Clippers, you had a lineup that they were facing in Eric Bledsoe, Luke Kennard, and Brandon Boston Jr. I'm not worried about the size when you're guarding Brandon Boston Jr. I just need somebody to stick with him. I need somebody to get in his grill and, and stay close to him. And then you're having Brandon Boston Jr. trying to chase around Bryn Forbes and Bones Highland off of screens. That is also scary for the opposing team. It's those kinds of matchups. It's, it's the ability to find pockets of time where Bryn Forbes can go off, where Bones Highland could go off, where Faku can become viable, where Austin Rivers, maybe when he comes in, could potentially find some isolation matchups that he works well against, things like that. I think there are combinations that they can do that'll make it work, but I don't think that they have a permanent bench. If they do have a permanent bench, I think that's the wrong answer. Yeah, and again, you know, uh, I think you probably have a little more optimism than me. I just, you know, after what I've seen for most of this season, um, I just – I think, again, there are some cases that, that it can work. It's just I think we need to see how Bryn, Bryn looks next to Faku. We need to see how he looks next to Bones. We need to see how he looks next to Jermichael Green and Zeke Naji and, and Davon Reed. You know, we just need to see what it looks like. You know, what's his play style? How does he integrate with them? You know, what does the defensive challenges look like? And, again, if he's hitting his threes, then this is kind of all null and void. Because at that point, if he's hitting his threes at a high clip, then really the bench doesn't have anything to worry about. Now it's just, you know, can you keep it up, you know, throughout two stints in the game? And that's why I think he's going to get a long runway. Like you, you mentioned that he might be a kind of a spot guy, not necessarily being in the role in the lineup every single night. I think he's going to be out there every single night and they're going to try different things around him because they've tried all the other stuff and none of that's worked. Like you, you can, you can throw it all out the window, I think, and say, look, there is nothing that we can take from this old sample that we are going to take forward with us. So let's try all this new stuff. And if it still sucks, then it didn't really hurt anything because they were still getting hurt anyway. That's that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, it makes sense. And again, I hope you're right. Trust me. I really do hope you're <laughs> right. And again, I really hope Ren Forbes comes and change life for the Denver Nuggets. Like, again, he's not obviously going to be an elite player, but he's an elite shooter. And I'm excited to see an elite shooter out on the court with him. Me too. Let's take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the excitement level and the dreams of Denver Nuggets fans. 
We'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, that would be awesome. Uh, just keeps growing the program, keeps telling the powers that be that this podcast continues to matter. And like I, I've done a great job, I think, of trying to grow this thing solo and and doing what I can to uh, to help grow the audience. So everybody, thank you so much for all the love and support. It has been a pleasure serving you. All right, let's talk about Jamal Murray. Let's talk about Michael Porter and some of the reports then, some of the inklings that we've been getting to of over these last couple of days, over this last couple of weeks, where you start to see, okay, Jamal Murray starting to do some contact work. Michael Porter starting to shoot the ball again. You're starting to get some inklings and some belief that maybe this team could be whole again by the time the playoffs roll around. Is that, that's first of all, that's just exciting, right? That's just, just a, a monster thing for this Nuggets team that had their hearts ripped out from them last April. Yeah, I think that we've all been under expectation that Jamal Murray's coming back. And uh, uh, either between February or March, you know, around the All-Star break, you know, around one of those points in time, uh, everything that we've seen is that his rehab is going well. He's attacking it every day. His body is responding to the activity. His body's responding to the strength and conditioning around the knee. You know, he explained on the uh, you know, All the Smoke podcast with uh, Matt Barnes and Stack that he's still sore, obviously, when you're going up the stairs, just grabbing groceries, just basic everyday activities. But again, that's a part of when you're rebuilding the strength in your knee after a major surgery like that. That's what happens. But the good news is, is that he said that he's on pace for contact. And we saw that the other night before the game. You know, he was playing one on one. He seemed to look good. He looks a lot more comfortable right now. It's just going to be about managing the pain and then managing the progress and when he feels most comfortable and when he's able to go. I am very hopeful, very hopeful for Jamal Murray. And I'm very hopeful that he's going to have a significant impact this season when he comes back. The other part of this, though, with Michael Porter Jr. When Michael Porter Jr. went down essentially in well, November and then it came out that he might have hurt his back in preseason game against the Warriors, man, it was bleak. But yeah. then when he got surgery in December, everything that told us was that he's out for an indefinite amount of time. And whenever we hear indefinite, that seems to sound like a full season's worth of injury. But we're getting from the grapevine that not only is Michael Porter Jr. healing up well, but his back is responding so well that there is a possibility, even some optimism, that he could be back later in the year. So you would get back a 21.7 points per game player and Jamal Murray shooting 41% from the three-point line, who is a the, one of the only people in NBA history to put up a number of 50, 42, and 50 in three consecutive playoff games. And then you would get Michael Porter Jr. back, who led the all-time records in 19-plus-per-game scores and the highest true shooting for 19-plus-per-game scores in NBA history at 19 points a game and up. And you would get both of those players back at 6'10", and 6'4", 6'5", that would shore up the offense, shore up the defense, and then the best five-man lineup, I think, in the NBA with Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and the MVP at the, at the height of the powers that he's achieved so far, I would be willing to say that that lineup could beat anyone on any given night in any playoff series as well. It's just a matter of how integrated can they get back together knowing they just got off their injuries. So I would be very excited if I was a Denver Nuggets fan. I'd be very excited if I was just a supporter of them because from what we're hearing, it sounds like that is a very, very, very distinct possibility. It's crazy to think that the emotional swings that Nuggets fans have taken through this process have just been brutal. It's It's been a really tough grind. Uh, thinking about where Denver was after they traded for Aaron Gordon, you started to see the vision, you started to see the positivity, and you started to grow really excited and really hopeful that this team could really win a ring. Zach Lowe's on his podcast being like, hey, I'm going to pick Denver. Like, I'm going to pick them to win the finals. That's insane. That is an insane thing to think. 
And then the rug got pulled out from under them. And everybody was on that emotional high. And it, you didn't necessarily feel it last year as, as maybe strongly because Jokic was still winning an MVP. Uh, Nuggets fans were still at that point, like, oh, too good to be true, like, not, not life, whatever. But it got so much more difficult this year having to watch them without Michael Porter, without having, with us just watching them with no spacing, watching Jokic run through brick walls and have to fight through, fight, scratch, and claw all of what he can do out of this offense. And to his credit, he's been fantastic. And we've already gone over that. It's been unbelievable, but it's been a slog. It's been emotionally taxing. And I wanted to have this segment specifically because I think it's time for Nuggets fans to start being okay with being excited, where you can start feeling that sense of positivity, that sense of hope, that sense of joy in being able to watch this team again as you see the building blocks right now come to life. And then you see the progress that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter are making in their injury timelines. When they first step on the court, it is going to be nuts. It is going to be pandemonium at Pepsi Center, Ball Arena. It is going to be unbelievable. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that moment. I want to share in that moment. That is going to be an unbelievable time. I think it's going to be Murray first. I think it's going to be Michael Porter after. But when it happens, like you said, the sky's the limit, man. You never know what this team could do. And, and I don't know what they're going to ultimately accomplish, but it's going to be nice to see what they can do and, and just get excited for the vision once again. Yeah, and I think we just need to see it together. And then we can place the expectations really starting next season. But yeah. we just want to see them healthy. I want to see Michael Porter Jr. play and fall. And we can get up and not have to hold our breath. I want to see Jamal Murray hit a step back off of his knee and be like, fine, go back on the court, go back and play defense. I want to see him rise up and dunk the ball and just be okay. I think that's kind of been what's kind of held us hostage, right? It's just the unknown, the what if, and okay, when they come back, are they going to be 100% healthy? I think we just need to get confirmation that these guys are going to be okay, that they've done everything they need to do. The doctors have done a great job. The strength and conditioning coach, Felipe, had done a great job. And I think once we see that, that's going to kind of ease a lot of our concerns. But, hey, you know, I started off this whole thing with the Hobbit metaphor. You know, they're in back again. Look, I think this is just like many of us when Bilbo fell down the, the, into the cave and he found the, the, the one ring. And then he went through all this adversity in order to try to get back to the Shire. And this is what we've been doing. We've been on a journey back to the Shire, right? We've been trying to get back to this great place of eight and two with this historically great five-man unit that we all saw that's just taking over the NBA. And I think that's coming back soon. And I think that that is a couple of months away, it sounds like. So we just have to continue to hold on to that faith, but also realize that, you know what, until we get there, it's pretty sweet that we have the opportunity to watch the best player in the NBA get it done and put on a behemoth work in order to even get them wins. And we get to celebrate that. So when Jamal Murray comes back by himself, that's going to be such an emotional lift, but then to watch Yoke and Murray do their two man game again, and then to see it be pulled off in clutch situations. I think that's going to be the moment right there. Oh man. I, I just watching Denver's offense and, and not having the Jokic Murray two man game is just torture. Like it's, it's one of those things that you got so used to as a fan and you get just started to really appreciate 2018, 19 really started developing got it in the playoffs. And I, I watched a highlight of that 2019 playoffs actually where Murray has the, the floater over LaMarcus Aldridge that touches the roof. And, and it's just one of those amazing moments because you, you see the, the cork come off the building right there and everybody's so happy and excited. It's just such a big moment for him. And, and think about all these awesome moments that the Nuggets have had so far with that group. And especially in the bubble where they went through the adversity there. They came out the other side of it feeling pretty good. And you knew that this team was about to do something special, that the, the Jokic-Murray two-man game with Michael Porter on the side, that was always going to be just a monstrous trio to deal with. And I want to see what they can do. I want to see if they can do it again. I want to see what it looks like. I think you're right about not putting expectations on it. You don't necessarily want to put it all on this season, all on anything. But with the way the Joker's playing, you still want to get excited about it. You still want to go for it. 
And you see them trade for Brent Forbes. You see them do a whole bunch of different things. They're still reshuffling their roster. I don't think they're done with that, by the way. Like, I think that they're still looking. I really do. And whether it's DeMarcus Cousins just to try to help them get through the regular season or it's something a little bit more substantial for a playoff run, like, I think that there's a lot to think about there. And there's a lot that the Nuggets could do. But it's just about figuring it out. It's just about letting Tim Connolly and co. do their work and seeing if we could get excited when everything comes together. I'm, re- I'm really hopeful, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm even thinking about right now, what does it look like when Jamal Murray, Brent Ford, Michael Porter Jr., and Aaron Gordon are flanking Nikola Jokic? And, Ooh, I mean, man, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's, it's going to be night and day from what we're experiencing right now where it's just literally – give the ball to Yoke, hope and pray. And most times he's going to be able to deliver. But I think getting him substantial all-star caliber help, again, we even Jamal Murray has never played with Yoke at this level. So that's going to be the fun part, watching him play with this brand new version of this player who is on a historic two-year run. The Nuggets have lost some swagger. They've lost some of that FU energy where – they know that they're better than the opposing team. They know that they can deliver it to some of these best teams in the NBA. And then they go out and do it. And they talk a little bit of mess. Jamal Murray was uh, was definitely leading that charge for sure. But you got some moments with Porter. You got some moments with Aaron Gordon when he was just starting with it against the Clippers in, the, uh, in that one initial awesome game with those five all together. That was so fun. And, and seeing those guys be able to, be like, oh, yeah, we're about that. That was really, really fun. And I want to see that again. I do think that they can get to that level too. Uh, last thing that I've got for you before we get out of here, Western Conference Finals. Denver makes it. You get your choice. Who do you want to face on the other side? Oh, I want the Suns. You yeah. want the Suns? Oh, yeah, any day of the week. I don't I don't want I want to run from nobody. I want to bring it right back. Yeah, I, I, want, I want the, the Suns. I want them healthy. I want Mikael Bridges. I want Chris Paul, Devin Booker. I want Jay Crowder. I want DeAndre Ayton back. I want Cam Johnson back. I want them all. Because that Let's way go. we can finally settle this conversation. Everybody was talking and 4-0 sons and sons and four and all that stuff. All right. You know, you you were, you were beating up on, on brother with all the brothers behind his back. Let's see what happened when everybody squat <laughs> up again. I want to see both of those teams at full strength. I want to see what the what the sons do. I want to see how they handle the Murray Jokic pick and roll because that's a little bit different than handling the Barton Jokic pick and roll or the Morris Jokic pick and roll or the Faku Jokic pick and roll. Like it's just different, man. And, and there's just different tiers to this whole conversation. And I, I really do think that with the way the Yoke is playing right now, he's even better than where he was in the playoffs last year. And, and the mentality is better of what he has to do. Imagine introducing this amount of spacing help with the mentality that he has now. Like, I really do think that there could be a nice confluence here where everything kind of comes together and you just have that positive, fun energy that changes everything. Well, and I I don't want to belabor this point, um, but I just want to make sure we're realizing this, that there is no single player or single scheme that is stopping Nikola Jokic at this point in time. He is the ultimate scheme buster. You can double him. You can throw bodies at him. You can front him. This wasn't where he was last year. He was great last year, but he wasn't this. So even what we just recently saw with him versus the Clippers, we're seeing a growth in the iteration of Nikola Jokic that we've never experienced. So getting an opportunity to put that next to Jamal Murray in a, in a series that you have to deal with this for seven games and you have to beat that thing four times, there's there's just not going to be many two-man punches that you're going to have to deal with. And so just that alone, plus all the other things they've learned, I mean, again, that's just going to be so overwhelming for most teams because that's just not something they've had to deal with before. I love it, man. It's um, it's fun to be positive with you. It's fun to be able to I, got, I think my, my podcast with you, Swipe, are closer to a hype cast than a podcast. Like, we, we want to we wanna bring the energy. We want to bring the positivity. We want to bask in, with, in it with Nuggets fans. Be like, hey, this is something that we enjoy. This is something that you should enjoy, and here's why. Because this thing could be really special, and we're not crazy. 
like that's the thing about this is that anybody that's saying that Denver couldn't win a championship this year, like, okay, you got to prove like we, we want to, we want to prove that as well. Like we want to see Murray and Porter. And if they're back and healthy, then you tell us that we can't win a title. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And you tell Jamal Murray that Uh, I think again, you know, uh, as I've always said, Nikola Jokic is the water. He makes it all work. He makes it all come together. He fits. But Jamal Murray is the fire. He's the one that sets this team ablaze. When they're down 15 points in the fourth quarter, you literally always have a chance because there's a supernova that's just waiting to explode. And all it takes is one moment, and then the series over. He is Swipe a Cam at Swipe a Cam on Twitter. Make sure to go check out his YouTube page as well. Go subscribe to the Swipe a Cam fam. Like he, uh, he has been doing some incredible things on the Nugget side of things. Being able to break down these games, being able to get that content up immediately after these games. He wants the reaction. He wants to be able to share in it with you guys. They've been doing Twitter Spaces too, right? That's that's been that's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's been really well. Uh, we we actually broke the. Uh... Uh, my Twitter space record the other day when Bryn Forbes got traded, we had over what, like 1,200, like 1,200 people almost that joined the space during Whoa. that conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we That's were, incredible. It's, yeah, it's dope. That's incredible, man. Hey, congratulations. And let me, let me know when you're doing the next one. We can, we can get on a hype cast together. I, I, the reason why I couldn't get on the last one, I was like, I got a podcast about this. I was literally in a podcast live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I listened to it. And, and by the way, I want to shout out, you know, again, on your own podcast, you know, Ryan, you do an excellent job. You are tremendously talented. And again, there are uh, many, many, many things coming your way. You do a great job. Your audience loves, loves you. They respond to you very well. So I just want to go ahead and just say that on air so that people can hear it, that again, I feel the same way that all of your listeners feels that we appreciate the content and the time that you put in and going to the games and writing and etc all this up and putting the podcast together it means a lot and you are literally speaking to thousands of people every day and you give people an opportunity to experience the Denver Nuggets in a much more intimate and interpersonal way and so that wouldn't be possible you know if you didn't say yes to that so you know despite you know the sleepless nights and the turmoil and the Argentinians in your DMs and all that just know that there is a big community of people that support you and I think they show it to you every day. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the love. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to collab much more in the future. Like, I I am very excited about this partnership for sure. We're going to do some great things. I know that we can. That is going to do for this this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for hopping on. Uh, This was a great, great podcast. Get excited about the Nuggets again. This is legit. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.